and welcome back to the second episode of Let's Go to the Movies. I'm your host, Tess Hubbard, and today we're going to talk about women in horror. Also, before we begin, a quick content warning. This episode contains discussions of drugs and sex. Now, I know Halloween has already passed, but I find myself thinking about Halloween, especially horror movies, year-round. Not because I'm a particularly big fan of them. I do like them, but I don't tend to be the horror buff that a lot of film fans are. Instead, I think about horror movies because they reveal so much about who we are as a culture. They answer a huge question. What do we find scary? Now, sometimes, albeit a lot of the time, that answer is simple. Monsters, murderers, chainsaws, and spouting blood. But within and underneath the screams and the gore, there are more complicated answers that delve into why we find things scary, who should be afraid of them, and whose fears are justified. Today, we're going to be looking at those questions, as well as horror tropes, through a feminist lens. By that I mean, we're talking about the final girl. Even if you don't know what the final girl is, you've definitely seen her, as long as you've watched a slasher film at some point in your life. She's the innocent, beautiful girl who watches all of her friends die, one by one, until eventually it is just her left. She uses her resourcefulness, as well as a little, or a lot of bit, of insane luck, to outwit and kill the killer, until she finally walks, covered head to toe in blood, into the sunset. The term final girl was first coined by Professor Carol J. Clover in her book Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Incredible title, by the way. But that is by no means when the trope was started. In fact, it's important to remember that tropes aren't created or developed. They are tracked and often defined after their peak in popular cinema. One could argue that the first final girl dates back to the very first days of cinema, or maybe before movies themselves. But for our purposes, we're going to start with Lila Crane from Psycho. Lila Crane survives Norman Bates' attacks in Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 film Psycho, but critics argue whether or not she counts since a man, Sam, ultimately saved her. In the film isn't a typical slasher. However, she does have traces of resourcefulness, she goes undercover to investigate her missing sister, and she exemplifies moral purity, especially in contrast to her sister Marion, who steals and breaks the law and can't get married. But Lila Crane is just an early example. The final trope becomes much more solidified in the 1970s and 80s. In 1970, Sally Hardesty is the sole survivor of the murderous Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sally is a good example of the trope for two reasons. The first, her survival is a perfect mix of luck and ability. She escapes the family because they mess up and briefly untie her, but she takes advantage of that moment to successfully run out of the house. And, more famously, she escapes Leatherface by climbing into the back of a passerby pickup truck, literally riding off into the sunset covered in blood, but up until that point, she had escaped Leatherface by herself. She also exhibits the grotesque suffering that final girls are put through. She sees her brothers and friends mutilated, and is kidnapped, taunted, and tortured all before surviving, which survival seems trivial after all of that. In 1978, Laurie Strode survives Michael Myers for the first time in Halloween. Laurie exhibits other traits we talked about. She completes a passive yet fought-for survival when she stabs Michael Myers with everything from sewing needles to a coat hanger, but is ultimately saved by Sam Loomis. Not to be confused with the Sam Loomis that saves Lila Crane in Psycho. People really need to come up with more creative names. And Laurie Strode endures horrendous tormenting from Michael Myers. In fact, she screams so much that rumor has it Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Lori, ensured her vocal cords. But Lori Strode perfectly encapsulates the third and probably most important hallmark of a final girl. Innocence. 
Lori prefers to stay at home and babysit, as opposed to her killed-off friends, Annie, who leaves the kids she's babysitting to go on a date, Linda, who dies just moments after having sex, and Bob, who dies while drinking. In 1979, Ellen Ripley survives the Nostromo in Alien. In 1970, Alice Hardy survives Friday the 13th. In 1984, Nancy Thompson survives Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street. And in 1994, Sidney Prescott survives Ghostface in the first installment of Scream. You get the gist. All of these women are virginal, beautiful, and resourceful, and use their skills as well as moral compass to survive a brutal slasher experience. Now that we've established what the final girl is, what does she represent? What does she say about what scares us? To that, I think there are three main points. The first, the final girl is a vehicle to show the audience what they should be feeling. As Carol J. Clover put it, the final girl is the one who encounters the mutilated bodies of her friends and perceives the full extent of the preceding horror in her own peril who is cornered, wounded, whom we see scream, stagger, fall, rise, and scream again. She is abject terror personified. These characters act as a map, as a guide to show us just how terrified we should be. Plus, when all of this fear is painted on what society deems to be innocent or pure, the fear is only magnified. And the second reason the final girl shows us what's scary— whether explicitly or more often implicitly, the final girl survives because of her moral compass. She is given the quote-unquote privilege of survival because she refuses sex or drugs or partying. However obvious this may be when pointed out, viewers watching the movie may not even realize it. Instead, they form a subconscious link between good and the innocent final girl and learn to fear her more risque peers. This is especially significant in the historical context. The rise of the final girl in the 70s and 80s coincided with the rise of teen youth culture, sexual freedom, and the women's liberation movement, which fought the expectations of women to be pure or perfect. While I highly doubt that a bunch of male filmmakers got into a writer's room and said, hey, let's make a trope, heck, a whole genre that inadvertently upholds 1950s ideals of a household woman and rejects female sexuality. Instead, fears about changing ideas of womanhood permeated the public psyche. They were relevant in so many different aspects of culture, and naturally, they manifested themselves into horror. It's also important to recognize that these fears weren't particularly new in the 70s and 80s. The Madonna whore complex, or the idea that women are either good and abstinent or evil and sexually active, has been around pretty much as long as we have documentation. So... This historical precedent mixed with cultural movements that were present at the time makes the final girl a symbol for what women should be, and slasher films a visual representation for fears around gender. And finally, the third way the final girl increases our frights. They appeal to a male audience. Slashers, even now but especially historically, have had a majority male audience. It is then unsurprising that the final girls are often first presented through a clear male gaze. If you can't already tell, I love Carol J. Clover's books, so I'm going to use another quote of hers. The relation between the sexes in slasher films could hardly be clearer. The killer is, with a few exceptions, recognizably human and distinctly male. His fury is unmistakably sexual in both roots and expressions. His victims are mostly women, often sexually free and always young and beautiful. Now, critics argue what exactly about this relationship is most significant to creating scares, but 
there is a general consensus that in some way it's frightening. Some critics, Freudians mostly, argue that this represents a repression of men's fears or desires, that slasher films are a sublimation of urges and remind people of what scares them, therefore scaring them. Other critics argue that this allows male audiences to relate to the final girl. In other words, the female is presented through the male gaze, so men are more likely to understand her. If you subscribe to this belief, then it's probably no surprise that final girls often have gender-neutral names, Sydney, Charlie, or Lori, and wear gender-neutral clothing, like Lori Strode's button-down top. In short, men being able to relate to the final girl means that they feel her terror more deeply. However, some critics, including Clover herself, argue that the male gaze simply presents the character and draws audiences accustomed to this gaze in. However, Eventually, at least to an extent, the final girl breaks free and compels audiences to root in fear for her in a much more authentic way. This switch often occurs in the final showdown, where the final girl meets the killer one last time, discovers his secret identity, if he has one, and eventually emerges victorious. Through Clover's viewpoint, the final girl is, at least partly, a feminist character, as she manages to break free from the male gaze to get a wider range of audiences to root for and relate to her. The final girl has a long and complicated history, with long and complicated and often paradoxical theories and arguments surrounding who she is and what she was made for. But regardless of the negative or harmful connotations that she has, we sort of have to acknowledge the path she's paved. She's an early example of a female protagonist with agency, with power, and more significantly, she's built a foundation for much more complex female characters, especially in horror. Think of Pearl or Midsommar. They all have less judgmental and more, for lack of a better word, empowering portrayals of women. So, even though the final girl isn't as common today, I implore you to think about her the next time you're watching a horror movie. Where can you find traces of her? What are the characters, arcs, and tropes telling you? And what assumptions are you taking away? Alright, that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed, or at least learned a thing or two about the final girl. See you next time! <laughs>